0: We have an anchor that keeps the soul. The anchor of the soul, with Mike Hickson, preacher for the Olive Branch Church of Christ in Olive Branch, Mississippi. Grounded firm and deep in the Savior's love. And now, Mike Hickson. John said many, many years ago that the whole world lies in darkness. That would be spiritual darkness. You remember Jesus said in John chapter 3 on one occasion, talking about Himself, that light has come into the world and men love darkness rather than light. So to understand that the Lord wants us as His followers to be a light in this darkened world. The power of light. And so as we look at Matthew chapter 5 today, we're going to be talking about some of the principles that relate to light and our relationship to the world. I want to begin by first of all calling attention to the fact that there is an obligation. Jesus said, you are the light of the world, a city set on a hill that cannot be hidden. Did you know that God wants us to be the light in this darkened world of sin? Now, you know, we talk about light and the power of light. To understand that a Christian, according to Jesus, is to be an individual light. Collectively speaking, the idea is that the church is to be the institution of light. Now what about our state in Christ? you remember Paul would say in Colossians chapter 1 that through our obedience to the gospel, we have been delivered out of, listen to him, the power of darkness and translated into the kingdom of God's dear Son. It's in that sphere that he said, we enjoy redemption through His blood, the forgiveness of sins. So we are delivered out of that darkened domain controlled by the devil. As a matter of fact, Paul would say in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 4, that the devil is the god of this age. And so the world is under the control of the devil. And those who are in the world, they are in, as Jesus would say, and as the New Testament says, they are in a darkened state. Now the Bible also tells us in 1 John chapter 1 that as New Testament Christians, the instructions to us, we are to walk in the light. And the assurance being that the blood of Christ is constantly working on our behalf. Go back again and look at some of the epistles penned by Paul. You remember when Paul wrote to the church at Philippi, He encouraged them to be blameless and harmless, the sons of God, in the midst of a perverse, listen to him, and crooked generation. But then he said, among whom you shine as lights in this world. Individually, are you letting your light shine? Prayerfully, the church in this area is being seen by people who are in the world. That is, people can see the light of Christ through this institution called the Church of Christ. Now in Ephesians chapter 5, Paul said to those people in the long ago, you were once darkness, but now you're a light in the Lord. And then he said, walk as children of light. So there is an obligation on our part to no longer live in darkness, to not align ourselves with the ways of the world, but rather we belong to God. Jesus said, I am the light of the world. He that followeth after me shall not walk in darkness, but have the light of life, John 8, verse 12. So we have an obligation to be a light in a darkened world of sin. If you go back and you read about some of the congregations that the Apostle Paul had a part in planting. Can you not see the light of Christ in cities like Corinth, Philippi, Ephesus? I mean, you go from town to town and you see individual Christians who were letting their light shine. And those congregations were a beacon of light In many contexts, in the midst of immorality and idolatry. Here's the church shining. That's the design of Almighty God. There is a second thing I want to call your attention to in our study. First, there is an obligation, but secondly, there is a transformation. Did you know that light has transformative power? In other words, light has the ability to conquer darkness, doesn't it? I mentioned a moment ago what John said in 1 John chapter 5, verse 19. The whole world lies in darkness or under the sway of the wicked one. The devil is identified by Jesus as the wicked one and as an enemy. He is the tempter of the world. Identified by John as the deceiver of the world. And the devil is doing everything that he can to destroy the church and her people. The devil doesn't want our light to shine. He wants darkness to prevail in this world. And so what we have to understand is that light has the ability to conquer darkness. Sin loves darkness. As a matter of fact, sin has the ability to grow in influence, left unchecked. That's why it's imperative for us as God's people to number one, understand that the Savior is light and that the scriptures are also light. So what do you mean there? Well, again, Jesus said, I am the light of the world. He that followeth after me shall not walk in darkness, but have the light. Now let me ask this question. During the three, three and a half ministry of Jesus, that three, three and a half year ministry of the Lord Jesus Christ, was His teaching not radical? You Remember in Matthew chapter 5, over and over the phrase is used by the Lord, you've heard it said by them of old time, but I say to you, And Jesus was striking at the very heart of some of the corruptions that had filtered into the Old Testament and the teachings of the religious leaders of His day. So you'll hear Jesus down in verse 20 of chapter 5 saying, Except your righteousness exceeds the righteousness of the scribes and Pharisees. Well, what's he saying there? They were, interested on, they were interested in outward appearance. It was all about how they were perceived by those around them. didn't have anything to do with the heart. And so what Jesus is saying is, we have to make a difference in this world. Can we make a difference? Yes. Look at some of the things that are plaguing, not just this nation, but around the world. Look at the problem that we're having in this nation in terms of idolatry. We would call it paganism. Did you ever think that we would be living in a post-Christian age? That's what people are saying today. That we are living in a post-Christian nation. Have we become too sophisticated, too wise in our own eyes? Is it possible that we have come to the conclusion that we no longer need God? So here's my question. Can you make a difference in this world? You can. But you've got to be a light in this darkened world. And you've got to point people in the direction of God's Holy Word. Now I want you to think about something for a minute. Light has the ability to conquer darkness. But it also has the ability to provide what I would call clear direction. Ever tried driving at night without your lights on? Doesn't work so well, does it? By the same token, we are identified by Peter as strangers or pilgrims on earth. Jeremiah said, it's not in man that walks to direct his own steps. I can't plot and plan my way through life without some type of divine direction. Where then does that direction come from? Well, it comes from the Word of God, doesn't it? Didn't the psalmist say, Your Word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my pathway? I said a minute ago, sin loves darkness. So the responsibility that we have is to allow the truth of Almighty God to shine in this world. The devil wants to deceive people. He wants to keep them in darkness. And the only thing that we can do is point people in the direction of the Savior who is the light of the world and the scriptures that provide light that can get us home safely. You will not get to heaven without following this book right here that we call the Bible. I can tell you that. You will not get there. Now the Bible says... Paul writes in 2 Timothy chapter 3, All Scripture is inspired of God. Now listen to what he said. And is profitable. God's Word has the ability to profit your life. How many people in this nation realize this book right here can bring them abundant abundant blessings? It's amazing how people have become hostile to the very book that is intended to be a blessing in life, not a curse. You would think, listening to some people, that there's something wrong with this book. The fact of the matter is, people need this book. Homes need this book. Our government needs this book. Corporations need this book. Why? Because Paul said it is profitable. And there are people in our world today, I saw a sign. Earlier today, somebody was holding a sign, and the caption said, Jesus loves abortion. That is a blatant lie. And unless we shine the light of God's Word on those who are actively promoting abortion, then people will continue to murder. And that's exactly what it is. It's murder. I don't care who you are. I don't care what your position is in life, doesn't matter what your race, doesn't matter what your intellectual standing may be in the community. If you are for abortion, you are for sin. Bottom line, that's it. And there are people today that are advocating abortion rights. So how do we overturn that? Well, we've got to take the light of God's Word and shine it on sin. The devil wants to keep people in darkness, and if he can keep people in darkness, they'll remain lost. Now I said the Bible has the ability to provide clear direction. Light has that ability, doesn't it? The psalmist said in Psalm 43 3, send out your truth and light. Again, the psalmist said, Your words, a lamp unto our feet, a light unto our pathway. We've got to be willing to take a stand in this world and be a light. The world is living in darkness. And here's the real tragedy of it, and this is what a lot of folks miss. The world is not only living in darkness, the world is lost in darkness. Now, we don't like to talk about people being lost today. In this age of political correctness, it's all about saying things that won't ruffle feathers. Well, the Bible says it straight up. All have sinned and come short of the glory of God. And the only remedy for a lost condition is Jesus, the Son of God. The Bible says in Ephesians chapter 2, that if you don't have a relationship with God, you are without hope. But verse 13 says, but now in Christ Jesus... You that once were far off are made nigh, brought near by what means? By the blood of Christ. And the apostle Paul said that when we obey the gospel, as I mentioned a moment ago, we're delivered out of the power of darkness. We're delivered from that state of doom. You mean to tell me that I could be lost because I'm living in sin? Well, here's what the Bible says, Romans 6, 23. Don't take my word for it. Listen to what the, the Bible says. The wages of sin is death. That is eternal separation from Almighty God. To be severed from the presence of God forevermore. So we got to point people to Jesus. Why? Because He is the way, truth, and life, isn't He? Isn't that what He said? Was it not the apostles who said, Neither is there salvation in any other? There is no other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved, Acts 4.12. In our day and time, people people will tell you, straight up, you don't have to believe Jesus is the Son of God to go to heaven. You don't have to follow the teaching of Christ to enjoy utopia. You can follow Jesus, you can follow Muhammad, you can follow Buddha or anybody else. It's no big deal. You'll all reach the same place. That's not what the Bible says, is it? So the world is living in darkness, and the world is lost in darkness. And Yet listen to what Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, the life. No man comes unto the Father but by me. Take note of what he said in John chapter 10. I have come that they might have life and have it more abundantly. Do you think that the message of Christ Planted in honest and good hearts will resonate. Don't you think that there are people in our country, in our world today that are looking for something better? Some are looking for something, they just don't know what they're looking for. When you go back and look at the book of Ecclesiastes, Solomon is trying to fill that void or vacuum in life. He tried to fill it with power popularity, material possessions, pleasures. Listen, he had it all. He tried it all. And Solomon said, the conclusion of my study is that life is about fearing God and keeping His commandments. There are people in our world today, if we would just sit down and talk to them about the Bible and say, you know what? This book right here can change your life for the better. Do you want a better marriage? Here it is right here. Here's the pattern for a better marriage. Would you like to become a more effective parent? Would you like to know that your children will have success in the future? Here's the pattern right here. Would you like to change the dynamics of some of the social problems and injustices that we see taking place in our world today? Here it is. This is a pattern right here. God's Word can bless our lives. That's why the psalmist again said, your word is a lamp unto my feet, a light unto my pathway. And again, no wonder he said, I stood in awe of your word. I mean, this is the very word of God. The Hebrew writer said, it's living and active and sharper than any two-edged sword. This book can transform your life. Do you believe that? I have known some folks that have lived what we might say that they lived a hard life. And they were about as far out in the world as you can get, knee deep in a life of sin. And they had been living for self and living for the gratification of self for a long time. But there was just something missing. Well, that something was God. That something was Christ. And so when we sit down with people who feel unloved, unwanted, uncared for, and we say, you know what, the Bible says that God loves you. The Bible says the God we serve is a God of love, 1 John 4 8. The Bible says that the God we serve will forgive your sins. You want to talk about self esteem? Are there people in our world today that battle a lack of self-esteem? The answer is yes. So how then do we see ourselves as God sees us? It's through this book right here called the Bible. That's why God's Word has transforming power. When Paul spent 18 months in the city of Corinth, preaching and teaching the Word of God among those people, and you look at how they were living, They were living less than ideal lives. And so when Paul wrote his second letter to those people, matter of fact, when he wrote his first letter, he wrote to people that had been sanctified in Christ Jesus, called to be saints. They had been set apart for the purpose of glorifying God. And so Paul would write his second letter and he'd say, if any man is in Christ Jesus, he is a new creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. That means if you're living in sin, no matter how deep in a life of sin you might find yourself, God has the ability to transform your life. He can give you a new life. He can give you a better life, a blessed life. But you've got to want that. You've got to be willing to turn your life over to the Lord. Now, Jesus said, men don't light a lamp and put it under a lampstand. But rather, they put it on a lampstand. Why? That it might give light to all who are in the house. Isn't our goal, individually, institutionally, to be a light in this world? And when people see the light, shouldn't they be drawn to it? Shouldn't they be able to see through the clutter of darkness Third thing I want to share with you in our study. First, there's an obligation. Secondly, there is a transformation. And thirdly, there is what I would call adoration or glorification. Now, listen to Jesus in verse 16. He said, Let your light so shine before men that they might see your good works. So, number one, the good works of light bearers. That's us. Did you know that we have been saved by the Lord to serve Him? The Lord wants us to serve Him. Paul would say in Ephesians chapter 2, and verse 10, that we've been created in Christ Jesus unto good works. What was it Jesus said, Let your light so shine before men that they might see your good works? Do you remember in Matthew chapter 25 when Jesus is talking about the end of time and all nations being ushered before His throne? And He begins separating them as a shepherd divides the sheep from the goats. And Jesus turns to those on the right hand and He says to those people, I was hungry, and what you do? You gave me some food. I was thirsty, you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger, you took me in. I was was naked and you gave me something to wear. Second, in prison, you visited me. Remember, Jesus said, Inasmuch as you did it unto one of these least of my disciples, you did it unto me. There are two things that really stand out in my mind about God's people. Number one, God's people ought to be actively involved in sharing. Sharing what? Sharing the gospel sharing with people spiritually, talking to them about Jesus, pointing people in the direction of Jesus, trying to make disciples of people, and then we share with people materially, don't we? Aren't we supposed to aid those who are in need? Isn't that what Jesus was talking about in Matthew chapter 25? I mean, he's saying, look, worship is important. Don't Please, don't get that Impression that it's not important in life. But what's important in the Christian life is also to be active in serving other people. So we're willing to share. But then, why do we do that? Why do you engage in good works? Why would you take the time out of your life, out of your schedule, to sit down and study the Bible with somebody? Why would you tell others about Christ? Why would you try to help those who are in need? I can tell you why. Because you care. It's about sharing, and it's about caring. Yesterday, there were a number of folks from here who attended the funeral of Saul Green, Miss Geraldine's husband. A couple of weeks before that, many of us came together to pay homage To brother Herman why would we do that I mean why did we take the time to go and to pay homage the reason is because Paul wrote in Romans chapter 12 we are to rejoice with those who rejoice and we are to weep with those who weep Paul said bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ to be able to share with people and to show people that we care and we care by our presence we come to the aid of people who are in the body of christ to say you know what you mean something to us you see that's what christianity is all about the good works of a light bearer but what's the goal of a light bearer if we're to be the light of the world and we are If the church is that city set on a hill, then what's the goal of engaging in all these good works? Is it so that people will notice what we're doing and say, you know what, boy, you're something else. You're special. No, it's not about personal adulation. It's not about somebody patting us on the back and saying, you know what, you sure are a fine Christian. There's nothing wrong with praising somebody for what they're doing. But everything that we do in the name of Christ, we do it to bring glory to God. Jesus said, Let your light so shine before men that they might see your good works and listen to Him and glorify your Father which is in heaven. Where is God glorified? By whom is God glorified? Here it is, Ephesians 3, verse 21. Unto Him be glory in the church by Jesus Christ. When people see us doing what we can to help others, to alleviate their sorrows and their troubles in life, does that not point back to God the Father, who is ultimately the giver of every good and perfect gift? So we live to bring honor and glory to Almighty God. That's our purpose in life. It's not about me. It's about God. That's the grand scheme of things. So I want to ask you this morning, Are you a light in the home? Are you a light on your job? Are you a light at school? Are you a light on the ball field? Are you a light wherever you go in this world? My prayer is that that would be the case. That you are that bright, shining light. And that you are attracting people to Christ. And that through your life, you're pointing people to Christ and you're bringing honor and glory to God. Because we live to glorify Him. If you're here today and you're not a Christian, I don't want it to just sound trite week after week. But to understand God genuinely loves you. That's what Jesus said, for God so loved the world. The Bible says God loves you. The Bible says God's willing to forgive you if you'll meet the terms of admission into His kingdom. Well, what would you need to do? You need to believe Jesus is the Son of God. The Lord said, except you believe that I am, you'll die in your sins. And then to be willing to repent like they did on Pentecost Day, Acts 2, verse 38. To be baptized into Christ for what reason? So that your sins might be washed away, Acts twenty-two sixteen. 16. And then the exhortation is, be faithful. As Paul said in Titus 2, verse 7, show yourself a pattern of good works. Or as Paul wrote in 1 Corinthians 15, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord. Is that you? Hope so. If you're here today, let's just say that you're here and you're not what you ought to be. Your life is not where it ought to be spiritually. The answer is Christ. The answer is to turn back to the God who has the ability to cleanse all sin. John said if we confess our sins, He's faithful and just to forgive us our sins, to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Thank you for listening to the Anchor of the Soul. Your speaker has been Mike Hickson, preacher for the Olive Branch Church of Christ, located at 9100 East Sandage Road in Olive Branch, Mississippi. To hear this lesson again, go to olivebranchchurchofchrist.org. Tune in next Sunday for more of the Anchor of the Soul. We have an anchor that keeps the soul Steadfast and sure while the billows roll, Fastened to the rock which cannot move, Grounded firm and deep in the Savior's love.